0: Let's jump right in. Uh, If you notice, Jonah is in the the Old Testament. So before we even go into the actual text we're going to be in tonight, we need to ask ourselves, what's the point of the Old Testament? This is the first time we've talked through an Old Testament book together, so it's important to remind ourselves why we study the Old Testament. Um, If you think, and maybe your automatic reaction is to think that the Old Testament is either irrelevant or unnecessary, it could be because you have a faulty view of the Bible as a whole. Um, The Bible is not primarily a spiritual encyclopedia or even primarily a manual for living. I've heard before, I've heard different preachers say that the B-I-B-L-E is basic instructions before leaving earth, um, which is catchy. I don't know that it's necessarily Um, True, if you've said that or like that, that's okay, but the Bible primarily, if you're going to understand the breadth of all of this, the Bible is a story of God redeeming all things for his glory. That's the point. Not. Primarily basic instructions before you leave Earth. However, there are instructions in this, and also you will leave Earth one day. And the Bible has things to say about that that you should be paying attention to. But you miss the point if you do not see this as starting in Genesis, ending in Revelation, a giant story that God is writing for His glory, in His creation of everything, His creation of mankind, of of you, in the redemption of mankind through. Jesus, and then ultimately in his redeeming of everything in Jesus Christ. In this one story, there are many stories that make up one narrative that find its fulfillment, purpose, its point, the big finale, all of it summed up in Jesus Christ. And this is unbelievable. Like, the point of everything in your life is, is Jesus and God decided to somehow in his infinite wisdom reveal his glory about Jesus to us through sentences and punctuation that should blow us away and this story was written by God for us to show us Jesus to show us how to live for his glory there's nothing better than this Um, there's a story in the end of Luke's gospel, where these two disciples are walking away from Jerusalem, this is after Jesus had already died and rose again, and they are very distressed because the Savior that they were following was dead and still in the grave, at least to them. And they are talking back and forth, and then a mysterious stranger appears, spoiler alert, it's the Lord of glory, um, and he comes up to them and he asks them, hey, what's going on? Guess paraphrase. Hey, what's going on, guys? And... Um, they're like, have you not heard about what happened in Jerusalem? Which I just love that, right? Like, have you not heard about the man who died in Jerusalem? He's like, yeah, that was me. You know, three days later, here I am. And, and it's amazing because they don't see it until he it literally says in the text, Jesus starts in with the writings of Moses, that would be Genesis, and works his way through the Old Testament To show these disciples that the point of the story is that he would die for sins and ultimately rise again. So that story is God creates everything for his glory. He creates people and he gives them commands that will lead them into perfect joy and purpose forever with him. That mankind rebels against him and then God starts his plan that he had already had planned before he created everything to redeem the people that he loved but that had rebelled against him. And God calls a man named Abram. You've probably heard of Father Abraham. He had many sons. And he calls out this man and makes a nation. And out of that nation, he is going to show the world his character and his saving purposes. And then those people get caught up in slavery by a nation called Egypt. And then God saves his people out of slavery by a man named Moses. God rescues them and then at Mount Sinai gives them commands that will lead them into everlasting, perfect joy and purpose forever with them. But then they rebel against him. Seems to be a theme here when it comes to us and obeying God. And then God's plan to rescue his people is not messed up by his people's sin. His people's sin was why he had to work for them. And then Israel Rebelliously walks around in the wilderness and finally settles in the land that God had promised to Abraham. And as they start living as God's people or lack thereof, they demand to have a king like the other nations. God gives them Saul. Saul has a son named David. David has a son named Solomon who started out well, but then falls into sin like the rest of mankind. And his sin had devastating consequences, ultimately in judgment the kingdom of God's people is split. And this is the part of the story where the prophets come in. These prophets were men called by God to call Israel back to return to their God. And the prophetic... Books would contain judgment on God's, on God's people for their sin, but it would, it would also look forward to this hope of a, a coming Messiah, a coming king that wouldn't be like David and wouldn't be like Solomon in their sin, but he would ultimately fix what had gone wrong. A prophetic book that we're looking at tonight for the next few weeks together is Jonah. And and there's some teaching here, but unlike some of the other prophetic books, it really just tells this ridiculous story of his life and what God was doing through him in spite of him. And all of these books, all the prophetic books, including Jonah, are fulfilled and realized ultimately in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection in our place. And this is very evident in the book of Jonah. Jesus even talks about this in the Gospels. Matthew 12. This is interesting. says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Te- Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, Spoiler alert, it might have not been a whale. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. As we submit ourselves in faith to the book of Jonah, we will marvel together. We've already been singing about this, but we will marvel at the sign of the prophet Jonah, fulfilled in Jesus, and we will learn to follow the one who was greater than Jonah. And I don't want you to just see this as a story that ultimately points at Jesus, although it obviously is important that you see that. I also want you to see yourself in this story. Um, If you're... If you like action movies or spy thrillers, there's usually some scene where either the protagonist or antagonist won, somebody's usually dressed in all black and trying to sneak to their desired destination. And they're sneaking around, they don't think that the enemy or the good guys, depending on which side you're on, see them, but then all of a sudden there's a red laser light beam on their chest. Guess what I'm talking about? That scene when they're sneaking around, all of a sudden there's a there's a laser light. And what does that mean? That means that somewhere within miles There's a sniper aimed at them, right? Like if the red light is on your chest, you are in trouble. You know you're caught. What you were doing, you thought you were sneaking around, you thought you were getting away with whatever you were trying to do, but someone somewhere was watching and you have been caught. In a lot of ways, the book of Jonah, as we hold this up and let the Lord speak through his word, is going to be like a laser beam on your chest. You're going to be quick to justify and hide in your sin and excuse your way of life. But this book simply will not let that happen. This book of Jonah shows that really in this story, he wasn't that great of a prophet, but he was used by a great God. And I am begging you, don't just let this be a story that somebody's talking excitedly about. My challenge is for you to see the Jonah in you. This book will expose the wickedness in your own heart. This book will show you just how rebellious you are. This book will also overwhelm you with the mercy of Jesus. And this book will line your heart up with the heart of God for people who are far from Him. So we want you to be focused on Jesus because He is greater than Jonah. So in this moment, I'm going to Pray for us before we go Jonah 1, 1 through 6. Let's beg the Lord to move. Uh, Father, I just pray right now for the hearts in this room. That by your mercy, you would expose the sin in us. That we would just no longer, we would no longer be okay with living life as usual. If, if, if what you have said about Jesus is true, that there really is. Life after death, there really is hope for our suffering. There really is power over the sin that has kept us enslaved. Lord, I pray by your spirit, you would just show up through your word tonight. Lord, do not let us leave here thinking that anything about the people on stage was impressive. Lord, help us to leave here stunned at our sin, but overwhelmed by the mercy found in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Jonah 1, 1 through 2. Let's do it. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So we're going to meet Jonah, and we get the missional stage set up for the calling on his life in this book. That first phrase is important. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Remember what we're dealing with here. When we're looking at the big calling of what the Lord is going to work out in Jonah's life. We're not dealing with his internal voice leading Jonah to want to follow his heart. This was the word of the Lord. This is what we have from God to complete the mission of God. In in this time, it was still an audible voice in some cases for the prophets. Directly to them, and in our time, what we have as the Word of the Lord are the 66 books that we have in our Bibles. Listen, you actually have words from God. This is not just another thing in the religious plurality buffet that the world will offer us. This is not just another option for your truth or someone else's truth. This is the reality that all of life revolves around the Word of God. The Lord. And it came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. This is a real person, a real prophet that actually existed. He, he had a dad named Amittai. Look at 2 Kings 14. This is um, in a book that shows Israel's history. We see a little bit of what Jonah's going on. He's restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of Araba, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai the prophet who was from gath Hepher. A glimpse into Jonah's prophetic mystery in the Old Testament historical account. He definitely had a prophetic ministry at some point in his life, and it seems like he obeyed the Lord and and told him and did, you know, told what he was supposed to tell this king, and it seems like he was a good servant with the word. So in this instance... God is looking at Jonah and saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So we see the specific call to Jonah based on a word from the Lord. He was supposed to go to a place called Nineveh and call out against it because they were evil. Now, a little bit about Nineveh so you understand the gravity of what this little prophet just heard. I'm assuming he's little. Sorry, that came out. He could have been a huge prophet. I don't know. He was a minor prophet, so small. All right. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. This This is the main army that would eventually wipe out the northern tribes of God's people. And listen, Nineveh was not a nation to be messed with. They were the supreme evil empire of this age. They blasphemed God. They had no regard for human life and either... Thankfully or unthankfully for us, they kept historical records of their military conquests, so finding out just how cruel they were to people is disturbingly easy to know. Here's some examples of what Nineveh would do. Uh, They had fields and and plains riddled with corpses of people they had slaughtered. Um, Entire cities burned to the ground of the places where they took over. One of their emperors was even known for having paintings painted for him of the destruction that he had done to people. Um, A gruesome account in research I've seen where they were known for cutting off their enemy's legs and then just chopping off one arm, leaving the other arm there so they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as they died. They were known as a terrorist state and would enslave the ones that they didn't murder. In other words, This is a horribly terrifying place to be called to the mission field. Especially if you were a prophet who was called to go tell them that what they were doing was wrong. You can imagine this, right? Jonah's one of God's chosen people to prophesy on behalf of him to his people. He says, all right, you're going to Nineveh. And immediately just... Hearing that, Nineveh, he would have just been flooded with the probably fear, probably dread, probably a lot of other emotions that would have made it really make sense why he might not want to go there. God was calling Jonah to go to a hard place to preach the word. These people were evil, but listen. Their biggest issue was not even the fact that they were evil and their biggest issue was not the fact that the religious folk over in Israel didn't like them or that people didn't want anything to do with them. Their biggest issue was that the individual people of this wicked nation were held accountable before a holy God. He wanted Jonah to call out against them because they were rebellious and no rebellion goes unpunished by a holy God. This means that the rebellion of capital murder is deserving of hell, just like the rebellion of ignoring your neighbors in need. All of us stand accountable to God. There is Nineveh in all of us. And God has a word for Ninevites, tells Jonah. Their evil is before him and they must repent. God is an incredible friend, but a terrifying enemy. Nineveh was a great city, uh, great in size, about a three-day walk to walk across it with 120,000-plus people at any given time. They were great in evil, as we have already seen, but it was also great in what God can do in the lives of people there. Don't think for a minute that God can't turn around the hardest of people or the darkest of places He sends us into the world, into the hard places with His gospel to do it. It is unbelievable mercy that God would even send one of His own to Nineveh. You think about that. They were ignorantly rebelling and choosing more evil ways to sin and blaspheme God, yet He was going to warn them. So, verse 1 and 2, we got Jonah the prophet we got the the hard place he's called to go do ministry. He's got the word from the Lord. He's got the clear call. The mission is here. The need is real. There's evil. God has called him. Hopefully something in your soul was stirring. Like, I want to live like that. Like, send me to the hardest people, the hardest places. Jonah's ready. And then in verse 3, here we go. Prophet, man of God. But Jonah rose to flee. To Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Away from the presence of the Lord. It's huge need. It's people. God can save anyone. Here's my word. There's the call on your life to go into these hard places. Okay, man of God, okay, step up, it's time. And he just flees. He rose up and did not follow the Lord's call for hard ministry. He fled to Tarshish. Now, where is Tarshish? Um, In Israel's known uh, map of the world, Tarshish is literally the opposite side of the map of Nineveh. Um, Like I said, in, in their known world, this would have been the exact opposite. Like, you know, go this way to Nineveh, and he gets in a ship and goes this way to Tarshish. It is the opposite of where he was supposed to go. The prophet of God literally heard the call of God and decided to go the complete opposite way. Complete rebellion. Which, listen, there's an important lesson here. This shows that it isn't just the enemies of God that can rebel. The people of God can be disobedient as well. Yes, they are forgiven, but this is still a terrifying thing because what it does that shows us Jonah's heart and his actions. Later in the semester, we're going to learn more about exactly why Jonah doesn't obey God's command to go to Nineveh. But at this point in the story, we can make some general observations about Jonah's heart and his actions. And here's the principle at play. What you do will represent what your heart wants. At the end of the day, people do what they want. I know that's not super profound, but we can make New Year's, I mean, perfect time is New Year's resolutions, right? Like, I'm not going to take a poll, but I'm sure many of us thought, us, me included, thought, you know, this is just nineteen is going to be the year, you know, that I don't eat as much and I work out more, right? Anybody else just, like, have that general, there was no, like, weight loss goal for me. I just, like, the goal was, you know what, eat a little less and work out a little more, which won't be difficult, you know, from, from judging by last year for me. But ultimately, if I decide to not do those things, It's because deep down, I just don't want to. And if it's not that I explicitly don't want to, it actually is just that I want something else more. Namely, snacks and Netflix. (laughs) I mean, it's funny, but I can get up and write my journal and make all my plans and say, this is what I want to do. I want to eat less and I want to work out more. But at the end of the day, what I end up doing is what I want to do. That's why, listen, you've got to get this. This is why God wants a complete restoration of your heart. God is not after an obedience that just does what is right because it's the right thing to do. God is after hearts that want Him. Because you're going to do what you want to do. The way you react to God's commands demonstrates your heart for or against Him. And that stings, but it's the truth. When you see clear calling and commands from God to your life, the way you react in obedience or disobedience or a fake obedience that is a veneer of morality on the outside with the heart that doesn't care, you are showing how you feel about God. Jonah decided to disobey the clear and direct will of God. Jonah must have decided that his will was better than God's will, that his life's agenda was better than God's agenda, that God's presence was not worth being with. And Jonah even decides, I love this little detail, he decides that it was even worth paying the fare to leave God's will. Like it's a little moment of mercy there, you know? Like, okay, I'm going to do it. I know I should go to Nineveh, but I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'd rather go to Tarshish. I want to go there. Okay, how much is it? You know, man. It's like one moment of pause. Is this worth it? And literally puts his money where his evil mouth is and goes the opposite way. One scholar notes a principle in play here. I'm not going to bank, you know, die on this hill. This is what this is saying, but I think it's, um, you know, interesting at least. He notes that sin always makes you pay, that your rebellion to God's will will cost you. Tarshish was the place that represented fleeing from God. Have you been there? In your own sin, in your own rebellion, how is your heart toward God? Remember, He is holy and we are not. There's Nineveh in all of us. Remember the laser beam. You should be seeing yourself in these stories as the ones who aren't perfect, not the hero. In so many ways, we are exactly like Jonah. We know God's mission and his goal. The global glory and fame of his name in the salvation of all peoples. Yes, Nineveh, but also all the nations. Yet we decide that our dreams and plans are better. When you dream and envision your life, does it include any care about God's mission to reach your lost neighbors? We know his will for our lives. We know that we are supposed to live holy lives for his glory. Yet we escape to our own personal tarshish by keeping our sins hidden. Are you rebelling this evening? We know the weightiness of evil and sin in the hard places and the hard people in our lives. And if you're a Christian here, we know that they have God's wrath coming for them. We know about the mercy and about the grace that God offers people in Christ, yet we remain rebellious and, silent, and I think it's just important if we're ever going to grow and take steps towards our lives and being leveraged for the sake of the gospel and this mission, we just have to admit that there are parts of our hearts that just don't want to. Some of our first steps this year, and I'm going to do this this week. You hold me to it. Our first steps in change to living more missionally as a ministry has People of God should maybe just be to apologize to our unsaved neighbors for not opening our mouth. Some of you all don't really know how to get gospel conversations started. That's a common thing. Just try that. Imagine that conversation. Hey, man, can we get lunch? I, I just got to apologize to you about something. I know some of the greatest realities in the entire world, and I have never told you. And I'm sorry. I, I want to slow down here for a second, though. Um, we need to take some time for application here because at the end of the day, we got to give Jonah some credit. Um, doing ministry in Nineveh would have horribly inconvenienced his life. That's fair, right? We can speculate all of the differing issues going on in his heart. But at the end of the day, remember, he just didn't want to. And in, in ministry, let's just be real, especially in personal discipleship ministry, things we just have to admit here. It is just easier to be attracted to people who are just like you or that just don't annoy you. Are there, I'm asking this, are there any types of people that you don't really want in this ministry? Now listen, of course, took a poll. I'm sure 100% of us would say, of course not. But I'm not really interested in what you say. I'm interested in what your actions are saying. And, and I want to show you what I mean because I'm afraid that some of you will fall into the same trap that I do. That I just kind of let ministry be a thing that I do, or even worse, the temptation of just ministry is a job that I have rather than a life that I am living And I want, I hope, by God's grace and hopefully in repentance tonight, we can just get from awareness to action. Now, awareness happens when you begin to care about the fact that your life does not interact with those who are different than you. It starts to bother you. Man, some of y'all really got to deal with that. If there's no point in your life where you're intersecting with non-Christians, you must reprioritize why you are doing the things you were doing at the places you were doing them. Because the unfortunate, horrifying truth is that you're doing it because you would just rather not interact with them. You get awareness. It bothers you. Hopefully we're there. It should bother you if your life does not intersect with people far from God. People who are stuck in this stage are people who have just not felt this conviction deep in their bones. It doesn't feel like a moral obligation. It just feels like something you should, you know, man, that is really sad that there are people far from God. That is, I do believe in God's wrath. You know, that is a bad thing. Then you move on about your day. But the next stage, and this is the one that I want to speak into, is just association. Association happens when you start to intersect your life with people on the outside of your friend group. So you've got your Safe Christian Friend Group ministry team, and you decide we are aware and we want to do something, so let's start scheduling ministry. That's not a bad thing. I hope you know that. But it's kind of easy. Be real. Let's hold ourselves to a higher standard. It's easy to be with your comfortable friend's social group on a Friday night and decide next Monday I'm going to make sure I talk to blank. It's a great thing to get to this point, but it can end up simply categorizing your time. And it doesn't move anyone from the outside any closer to the inside. It simply demonstrates your willingness to move out of your own comfort zone toward those away from Christ. And I think that's a good thing, but it's not quite what we're after. The stage that I think most biblically demonstrates what Jonah should have done and what Jesus always did is action. Instead of just people on the inside deciding that we should, you know, go behind enemy lines and, and go have coffee with someone and mention that you go to church or you have before, the action stage involves doing whatever it takes to get those people that would have no chance of being invited to your hangout on Friday night and moving them right into your life. Moving people from the outside, being brought into the friend group because you love them, they get to belong. And listen, man, if just this amount of people can decide that that's the way we're going to do ministry this year, there's no telling what God might do. Like, what would happen if instead of the Monday morning coffee date at 8 o'clock to meet up with that person, it's, we're going to this game, or we're hanging out at this house, we want you there. And all of a sudden, not only do we have a fertile ground for gospel sharing, you also have roots for them that, Lord willing, when they do repent and get saved, they have friends. They don't feel like the outreach project statistic. From awareness, yes, we've got to be aware. Associate, yes, schedule your time. But ultimately, let's see what it might be like if we would decide that we are going to decide that the gospel is worth inconveniencing even our untouchable social time. We are so much like Jonah. But praise God, something greater than Jonah is here in verses 4 through 6, we're going to see that you never can actually run from God. You're actually just running to him. His will is always done. Look at verse 4. I love this. So, you know, we got the, the drama in the story. You know, God says go. Jonah says no. Pay the fare. Get the ship on his way. But, I love this, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And some... Hebrew scholars way smarter than me say that the original language here is actually kind of comical. It's actually saying that the ship itself was threatening to break up, kind of like a comic book. Like the ship, the storm was so bad, the ship's just like, right, I'm going to just sink myself. It's terrifying. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it from them. But Jonah, oh Jonah, had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. What a strange story, right? Jonah quickly found out that running from God was actually running to God. So understand this. In this hurling of a great wind upon the sea, the Lord will not be stopped. He was getting his message to the Ninevites, and he is responding now to his disobedient prophet in wrath. It was not okay that Jonah was on this ship. Jonah's sin was hurting the others on the ship, and Jonah was the target. Jonah was rebelling against an omniscient omnipresent, omnipotent, sovereign, wise God. That means all-knowing, everywhere, all the time, all-powerful, always in control, always knowing the exact best way to do exactly what is best forever. So what does this mean? It means that he does what he wants and gets what he wants, and this is a good thing for us. A lot of our rebellion has to do with us wanting God to be like us instead of us wanting to worship God. It means that he should have obeyed and and God is deserving of our worship. It means that the story of Jonah's rebellion is far from over because God doesn't let rebellious prophets stop his plan. But it also means you should wake up and examine your life. Are you obeying this God in worship and mission? And listen, this book is not about the storms in your life. It's impossible to tell whether or not the storm you are going through is a direct result of your disobedience to God like Jonas. I have no idea how to tell. But storms in life do expose our hearts in worship. Look at the mariners of this ship. Big wind, big storm, the ship's threatening to break up, and what do they do? They cry out to their gods. The way you respond to life's storms will reveal the God you worship. And I had a horrible um, time of seeing this play out in my life. Um, If you didn't know, didn't catch the news at the end of Last Collective, my wife and I are expecting our first baby in June. Um, We're very excited. And uh, with that, some of the things that you learn as a dad um, already is that every little detail is out of your control. It's amazing, like literally all the time in your life, even now, every little detail is outside of your control, but there's something about knowing that somehow you're responsible for this little, I think uh, mango-sized human at this point um, in there, and somehow I'm supposed to provide, protect, and, and, and be there, and then all of a sudden anything can go wrong. And listen, this past week we had a pretty scary medical thing happen. Now, everything ended up being fine. The baby is fine. Courtney is fine. But there is something terrifying and revealing about your own soul when you are sitting in the hospital for the fifth hour waiting on the result of this test to tell you whether or not your pregnant wife is having surgery the next morning. I don't tell you that as some victory story that I just prayed Psalm 99 the whole time and was strong. I think at one point, literally, Courtney told me I had to get it together. <laughs> you know her, it makes sense. But I only tell this story to show you that in that moment, in that storm, my heart was revealed. There wasn't an automatic trust there. There was panic and worry and fear for the future. You can't stop your mind sometimes, I get that, but ultimately, my idols were exposed. The way you respond to life's storms will reveal the God you worship. Jonah was supposed to be obeying, but he was sleeping. It is worth noting that all of us do this in some way. Um, whenever storms come or we're experiencing just the awe and majesty of God, we, um, our hearts and our gods are exposed. And I think it's important to see this, that God is not after our religious activity or our good deeds. He is wanting us to repent and believe in him. Obviously, the weight of the cargo was not the problem, unless you count the weight of the rebellious prophet asleep at the bottom of the ship. I love this story. Uh, Story of ridiculous irony. Uh, I hope you see it there that Jonah should be calling these polytheistic mariners to repentance. Yet these polytheistic mariners are calling the prophet of God to call out to their God. And I love there at the end, they say, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And these men were right. The only way they had a chance was if God did give a thought to them and something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus decides to go straight into Nineveh and all the nations, the world he created, and take God's wrath for us and then preach his mercy and grace. And if you remember the story in Jesus' life, he falls asleep on the storm too. Not in rebellion, but in complete trust in his his father's sovereignty over the storm. And then he wakes up and rebukes it and makes it stop. And I hope you see this. Start out this semester exposed right now, ready to repent. This story of Jonah so far is your story. We've all rebelled against God. We have all paid for our sin in some way and different consequences. And we have all tried to go as far as we possibly can away from God. We've all gone astray and thought our plan was better than God's. But praise God, he doesn't leave you in that story. Check your hearts. How do you respond to the command to go make disciples? Does it make you uneasy? Do you think it's not as important as other things in your life? Are you rebellious? How did you respond during the last hard time in your life? Did you cry out to the true God, or did you try to get through it on your own? Listen, there is only mercy for those of us in Jesus. He will forgive you and empower you to get you back on your way to Nineveh. Ask yourself this, what difficult people or places could he be calling you to? What difficult conversations are you avoiding? And with a room this size, I have to say this, that For those of you not in Christ, you need to know that God's wrath is real. These mariners are doomed if they don't repent and worship the one true God. You may be great in your own way, but your evil is coming up before God. as the band comes back up to lead us in worship, you need to understand this. That that wrath that is stored up by God for evil in this world is either going on your head at the end of life, or it goes on the or His wrath goes on the greater than Jonah Savior that died in your place. And listen, for all of us, as we start out this new semester and as we think about our own hearts and response to God's commands on our life and our own heart's response in the difficult times, the only response for us right now is to worship our God, either in repentance for the first time in repentance from our rebellion, but all we know is because of Jesus, we can celebrate there is mercy for us. So let's stand and continue singing.